Hi, and welcome to this week's edition of the Ocean View Podcast. No matter where you're at in our country or around the world, we thank you so much for taking the time to listen. Now sit back and enjoy this week's message. The uh, further they got from the city gate, the quieter they became. So that by the time they traveled far, neither of them said a word. And as the stranger kind of joined their ranks, both of them were more content just to embrace the awkwardness of silence than to try to make conversation. They were content simply to look down and watch the sand as it sifted slowly through their worn-down sandals, then to confront the awkwardness of the situation, punctuated by brief moments of, this just doesn't make sense, and then answered with, we'll talk about it when we get to Emmaus. They didn't know a stranger had joined them. When they saw him there, they couldn't help but ask the questions they had both been feeling. How could it end like this? How could this be the culmination of so much promise? When so much momentum is moving in the right direction, how could this be the surprise at the end? This is the surprise ending of a movie. The win in overtime. This is Atlanta last Sunday. This story we're about to read in Luke 24, and as you open up your Bibles to that passage, I want to catch you up. Jesus had just been crucified at this moment. Everything he had been doing in his ministry had had seemed to indicate this was going to move in a different direction. All the people whose blindness he had healed, the, the lame who were walking, the deaf who were hearing... Jesus was doing something. He's raising people from the dead and casting out demons. And then suddenly they kill him on a cross? Can you imagine what that would have felt like? To just steal the thunder, to rob the joy. And these two men that we find in Luke 24 are walking to a village trying to make sense of it all. And there had been reports that day that he'd come back to life. But it seemed too good to be true. And this is where Luke starts us off. He says, that same day, the same day as the reports that were now making it around, two of Jesus' followers were walking to the village of Emmaus, seven miles from Jerusalem. As they walked along, they were talking about everything that had happened over those days. And as they talked and discussed these things, Jesus himself suddenly came and began walking with them. But God kept them from even noticing that it was him. So he asked them, what are you discussing so intently as you walk along? And they stopped short. Sadness written across their faces. Then one of them replied, you must be the only person in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about all the things that have happened there the last few days. What things, Jesus asked. The things that happened to Jesus, the man from Nazareth, they said. He was a prophet who did powerful miracles. And he was a mighty teacher in the eyes of God and all the people. But our leading priests and other religious leaders handed him over to be condemned to death. And they crucified him. We had hoped he was the Messiah who had come to rescue Israel. This all happened three days ago. Then some women from our group of his followers were at his tomb early this morning, and they came back with an amazing report. They said his body was missing and that they had seen angels who told them Jesus is alive. Some of our men ran out to see. And sure enough, his body was gone, just as the women had said. And Jesus said to them, You foolish people. 
you find it so hard to believe all that the prophets wrote in the scriptures. Wasn't it clearly predicted that the Messiah would have to suffer all these things before entering his glory? Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses and all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. And by this time, they were nearing Emmaus and the end of their journey. But Jesus acted as if he was going further. Will you pray with me? Father, we give you our time today. Lord, I give you my mouth. We give you our ears and our hearts. Father, we pray that you speak, that you not let me get in the way. We love you. I beg you to meet us here. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really excited to be able to share with you today. Uh, I literally just left my wife over at the hospital. She's still... And it's not the first time, right, that I've bailed on her in the middle of having a baby or whatever. But she's so incredible that she just kind of embraces it and allows it. And she's got this kingdom mindset. I can't even tell you how how thankful I am for her. She's like, go, go, go. She's always been that way. You guys, when we were dating, we've been married now almost 11 years. When we were dating, I will never forget this moment. I've been reflecting a lot over the past few days. I don't know if it's something about the time we've had on our hands in that delivery room or, or the birth of a fourth child. But when we were dating, we went on a walk one night at, near her mom's house in her mom's neighborhood. And, and we were talking about the idea of getting married because I had an inclination that it might be moving in that direction. And so I remember feeling bad that I couldn't offer any kind of security or stability to her. You see, I had felt called into some sort of life lived for God. I just didn't know what it meant. And I told her as we were walking, I said, Hannah, I feel like I've signed my name to a contract. And he hasn't yet filled in the top part of it. And I don't know where it's leading. And I think you need to know that. And she goes, that's fine. And I'll never forget. She goes, I've always felt more committed to him than I am to you. And that's all I needed to hear. And I got her to marry me, and then I stole her, and we moved away to Columbia so I could go to seminary for five years with no idea what I was going to do with that degree. I thought that it was leading towards a university setting. I had no clue, but can you imagine trying to talk your spouse into working so that you can go to school for a degree you don't know you're going to use? Like, that's what we did, but she was cool with it. She goes, you go get closer to Jesus for five years while I work. I'll do that for you. She's just always been that way. And I remember on the eve of our first anniversary, first year together, I wanted to do something nice for her, but we didn't have any money. And so while she was at work one day, I read somewhere that the gift for one year of marriage was something made of wood. And so I went to an antique store with just like the bare minimal like amount of money that anybody could have. I went in there and I bought this old box made of wood. And I went home and I got some construction paper because paper is made out of wood. I saw an episode of Sesame Street about that. And I cut out 365 paper hearts. And on each heart, I wrote something different I loved about her. So that for every day that we had spent together in our married life, she would have something different that I loved about her. Because you do crazy things when you're in love. And man, I was so in love with her. And I'll never forget that. I've been flashing back a lot, even as Pastor Terry shared last week, this passage from Hebrews chapter 2. As I sat over there listening, I couldn't help but remember things from my childhood. In Hebrews 2, the author says, We must pay close attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we don't drift away. And that phrase, drift away, I remember thinking, I know what that's like. The first time I swam in the ocean here, 
I remember moving here from Connecticut. The first time we went out in the ocean, we set all of our things on the shore. Towels, clothes, everything we had. And then we went out into the water and jumped waves for an hour. It felt like an eternity, but it was so much fun. And I'll never forget that feeling of coming out of the water and going, where are my things? Someone stole my things. Who steals, th- who steals people's clothes? I was so mad. It's like I was appalled that anybody would steal something and that they would steal my clothes. Like, who does that? And then I realized as I looked a hundred yards upshore, there was my stuff. There was a current moving the whole time, and I had no idea until I got out. And this passage is warning us about the same thing. He's saying, if you don't have something or someone as your reference point, then the same thing can happen to you. That basically in Scripture, there are these two currents that are competing for hold over you. That when we're born into this world, this planet, the current of me has complete control over me. I do everything that makes sense to me. I follow my own lust, my own passion. The things that, 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 that make sense in my mind are the things that count. And everything else, I just don't count. And I don't answer to anybody else because it's all about me. And then when you come to Christ, you realize it's not about me, it's about him. And you surrender to him and his plan and what he says is right and wrong. But we're still in this ocean. And there's this constant pull away from him and back to me. And that's why the author here says you have to pay close attention so that you won't be carried away or drifted away. It's this idea that there's something pulling at you. You can be carried away by feelings, by bad advice, by friends, or by anything other than Jesus. And you guys, as I've tried to research this, and I've prayed over about what to share this morning, I can't tell you that it's like God has kept me awake at night, going, you have to tell them that Hebrews 2 is a warning passage. This is a stern warning. There's five of them in the book of Hebrews, and this is the first one. Where the author says, we must pay close attention to what we've heard so that we don't drift away. That basically there's these two currents that are fighting for control over you. And you can get so carried away by not keeping your eyes on Christ, by not making daily alignment with him in his word. You can get pulled so far downstream that you're in a different current. Read the words of this warning. How shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? I mean, I don't know what that means. And and, and godly men and women for centuries have tried to understand what that means. And I'm not here this morning to tell you what it means. I just think you need to know there is a warning there, that there's this drift that can take place, that you can be so uh, sought after by the current that you can end up somewhere to the point where God would go, I I don't even recognize the salvation I put inside of you. It's scary. You know what we've done? In our Americanized Christianity, you've got these two categories. We created a third one. We're not completely given way to our own lusts. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're not totally given away to his either. Right? We chase the things that we chase during the week, and then we give him an hour 
on Sundays. We create a third category. We're not in one current or the other. We're just sort of in between. It's this idea that Pastor Terry opened us up to last Sunday called the doldrums. This body of water. You guys, the doldrums are in, in, in world nautical races. When people race around the world at the equator in the ocean, they fight and fight and fight to make it through larger currents. The ones that are going against them are going in a direction. They try to avoid these or navigate these. And then they hit this still body of water. And it's, they, they feel like, I need to rest now. This is great. I need to rest. But when you're on the equator in a boat and the water is still, that is not actually a good thing. You can float and bob and the race can pass you by. There are reports of people who were setting records racing around the world, and they get to the doldrums, and then the race passes them by, and they just bob there and float for hours, days, weeks, even months. And some of you are doing that spiritually. Jesus saw it coming. He called it something else. He called it being lukewarm. He says, you're not really hot, like you're not on fire for me, but you're not, you're not really like totally given over to your own lust either. You're just somewhere in the middle. And he says, it actually makes me sick. I would wish that you were one or the other, but you're neither. You're just stuck. It's the name of this series. Like, you're stuck. You're, just, you're not doing anything. And you guys, what, what troubles me about this is that we've almost embraced it as a culture. Like, that it's okay to kind of find this middle ground and to just live there. I mean, just look at the name of this series. Stuck. Is this the life you imagine, because it is, after all, about you. This is all about you. I mean, this is your current. We want you to get the most out of life that you can get, because it's all about, it's all about you. Can I tell you what I think Scripture would say to the question, is this the life you imagined? Who cares? You've got this God up there who is controlling right now every beat of my heart. Now, I could literally die on this stage right now. Like, I don't know if you ever have those moments at night where you've got your head on the pillow and you can hear your heartbeat through your ear and you become keenly aware that nothing you are doing is causing that heart to beat. And I don't know if you've ever had the second haunting thought that follows that one where you go, if it stops beating, I can't control the fact that it's beating. I also can't make it start again. I am totally dependent on this God who spoke the world into existence. This enormous universe, he spoke it into existence. It's not about us. I mean, you, I read this, this, this study recently where scientists say, and I don't know how they know this, but they say that they have more documented evidence for there being more stars in existence right now than words that have ever been spoken by people ever. Like if you took all the people who have ever lived and all the words they have ever said and totaled that up, there's more stars out there in the universe than those words. That it's a big universe. And I remember when I was a kid, I would hear stuff like that, and I'd go, wait, 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 wait. So there's a universe that big, and yet we're the only planet on it where there's life. That seems like a waste, if I'm honest with you. 
But then I remember what Isaiah says. He goes, he's quoting God. He goes, my thoughts aren't your thoughts. My, my ways aren't your ways. I mean, as high as the heavens are above the earth, those, those stats about the stars, as big as the universe is, that's how far my thoughts are from yours. He, he goes, the stars, that whole thing, the stars, those aren't about you, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Your ways are not my ways. Like, how did I ever look at a study like that and go, this is about me. This is from my vantage point. It seems like a big deal. When the psalmist says, wait, 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 the reason for the size of the universe is not Tommy. The heavens proclaim the glory of God, not Tommy. The point of the size of the universe is not me. The point of the size of the universe is him. He created a universe that big to be an illustration of how glorious he is, not me, When you look at it through that lens, it's not an overstatement. It's an understatement. You've got this big God. Who are we? James 4 says we're on the backdrop of eternity where the arrows go in both directions. We're this vapor that appears for two-fifths of a second and we're gone. But yeah, let's talk about you some more. You know the challenge of the Christian life is to daily remind ourselves of this, to align ourselves with him and look through his lens, through his perspective, because it's not about us. It's about him. And we see this between these two men on the road to Emmaus. They're walking along, and they were looking at the tragedy, what they thought was a tragedy, that had, had been caused those past few days. And they're trying to make sense of it through their lens. And they go, they go, we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem us. And some of our women amazed us, but we did not see Jesus. And Jesus responds, you foolish men. You thought this was about you? It says he goes on to school them. Did the Messiah not have to suffer these things to enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them all that was said in the scriptures concerning him. You guys, this is all about him. This series is all about him. Are you stuck in life? Is this the life that God imagined for you? That's the question. I was talking about this with Stephen this week. And I said, I almost feel like we should change this to, is this the life that, that God imagined for you? And he thought for a second. And what he said back to me convicted me. He goes, what if it was, is this the life that you imagined when you first came to Jesus? You see, for many of us, when we first get into his current out of our own, we get swept up in it. We're, we're willing to do anything. We want to live for him. We want to die for him. And then somewhere along the way, that current of me pulls me away from that, and I end up stuck in the doldrums. We lose focus of Jesus as our reference point, but we also lose focus of Jesus as our first love. We get stuck. We can't go anywhere. We stop asking questions, even questions like, is this the life that God imagined for you? 
Or is this the life that you first imagined when you first came to Christ? I mean, can you remember a time in your life when you were more in love with him than you are right now? See, Jesus wants to be your first love. And the answer to that question is so important. Can you remember a time when you were more in love with Jesus than you are right now? See, our love for him is supposed to be growing deeper and deeper and more and more every day. The further we walk with him, the more we walk with him. It's like that old song, like a river glorieth. It's perfect, yet it floweth fuller every day. Like if at any point you were to take a snapshot of your love for him, it should, all, it should at the same time seem perfect, but also growing every day. Perfect, but getting deeper all The way your love for him is supposed to be moving in that direction with that current away from your own. You guys, this is first love. You remember first love. Like that story I told you about me and my wife. You just do crazy things when you're in love. You guys, we celebrated our 10th anniversary this past year. And I got to be honest with you. We are busier than we have ever been. Right, we got three kids at home, well, four kids now. <laughs> All these kids running around. My wife is up to her eyeballs in diapers and laundry. Like, it's crazy. And I'm in full-time ministry. And if I've ever been tempted to just mail it in one year where I'm like, eh, you know, like, maybe we can high-five and I'll give her a flower. You know, like, maybe, I know that the 10th anniversary is supposed to be a big deal, but I just don't, I don't have time for a big deal. So, so here you go, honey. Here's a, you know, kiss on the cheek or whatever. And you just keep trucking, right? I kind of, if I'm honest, I kind of wanted to do that. And I felt convicted as I thought about that first anniversary. And it's like, where does that go? Where does that fire go? I'm supposed to keep it moving. And I just, I I couldn't stop feeling bad about it. And so finally I was like, no, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to mail it in. I'm not going to settle. I'm going to do something over the top. And you guys, our story takes place in Myrtle Beach. Like when we started dating and when we got engaged in the wedding, all of that is here. So I identified 10 places. So cool. You guys are so impressed. 10 places, 10 places iconic to our story, right? And the day of our anniversary, I got rid of the kids. I got childcare, whatever. And I, I kidnapped her for the entire day. And I took her to each one of these places that was so special to us. We met in a high school band room. And I got the principal of that high school to let us in. And the band students made a heart on the floor with flowers. And we stood in it as they serenaded us. We, were, we went from there to a summer job that we worked together. And I got the manager there to let us in and to give us a tour. After we got off work at night, we would hang out with five or six friends at a Denny's not far from our work just to catch up with each other. And we started, the wait staff got so, they, they understood who we were and they would hang out with us too. And you guys, I got the waiters from 10 years ago to meet us for lunch at that Denny's. I went, thank you. We, I took her to the place I asked her to marry me. I took her to the place we got married. I took her to where our reception was, our first apartment. All these things because I don't want that love to start to drift in the other direction. I want it to grow deeper and further and more and more every day. And that is our responsibility, not only to our spouses, but also to our God who saved us. And Jesus saw the tendency to drift coming. In Revelation chapter 2, he talks about it. And he never wrote anything down. 
This man who changed the planet, this God-man, this God in a bod, changed the planet and never wrote anything down, but he came real close in Revelation 2 when he had John write for him this, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. You've persevered, you've endured hardship for my name. You've not grown weary. Guys, you're doing a great job. You're mailing it in, and it's great. There's nothing wrong except this. You've forgotten the love you had at first. It's first love. It's grown cold. Our love for him, before and above everything else, is more important to him than anything else. And you guys, I know the temptation. You hear a message like this and you're like, man, I feel terrible, like my love has grown cold or whatever it might be if you're convicted. But that's not my goal this morning. Could it be that's the enemy's goal for you to feel bad and then to walk out the doors of this room feeling bad but not changing anything? And as Christians, we've become masters at conviction but failures at action. Jesus gives us the next steps. I love this. He goes, consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. I mean, he goes, can you remember a time when you were more in love with me than you are right now? And if you can, don't feel bad. Repent and then do the things you did at first. What was it that was different back then? Were you in a Bible study? Were you doing missions trips? Were you, you were finding ways to give of yourself, give yourself away to kill the flesh so that you could be moving in the direction towards me. Go and do that again. And find new and creative ways to continue to move towards me. And there will never be a stopping point, guys. We will always find more ways to give to him and to live for him. And I think that's why the story ends this way. It goes, they were nearing Emmaus in the end of their journey, but Jesus acted as if he was going further. I think Jesus is always going further. He's always calling us to more. He's always moving us along. Are you moving? Did you get stuck somewhere? You started looking and living for yourself. When I first came to Ocean View, about six years ago now, there was a meeting in the room right over there about the purchase of this building in the room over here. That building had come available and it was really expensive, but when you're landlocked like this, you, you either go for it or you regret it later. And I remember they were talking about how expensive it would be, and there was a man in the congregation who stood up and he said, you know, it, it is expensive. He goes, but uh, my family, we keep coming up with things that we can do without. And instead of giving that money towards those things, we just give it to the other ones instead, the ones that we think are more important. And he goes, the only thing that we still got going on right now is cable. But I'm willing to give up cable to instead give towards that building. And I remember that stood out in my mind so much. You guys, the concept of downsizing so that others might upgrade is beautiful, it's biblical, and it's nearly unheard of. 
That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be moving in that direction. And we purchased that building, and I'll never forget the first Wednesday night we went over there, and this handful of students had about 15 of us in that little room, no electricity. And you guys, I want to show you the picture from when we launched back this past uh, school year on a Wednesday night. All those students in that room. Because people stood up and they go, I'm, I'm going to give of myself towards something else. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to swim in the me current. I'm going to swim in the him current. I'm going to move towards him. And you guys, he had no idea what hung in the balance when that man made that decision. We never do. But it's how we keep from getting stuck. You guys, next weekend, the compassion experience is going to be here in Myrtle Beach. Big deal. We've got, we've got over 2,000 people registered to be here for that. Do you know how many kids there are in the Dominican Republic between the ages of one and five that are waiting for adoption? Less than the amount of people who are registered to be at this event. In one weekend through this event, we could sponsor every kid in the Dominican Republic through the ages of one and five if we wanted to. It's just a matter of learning to not get stuck. To not settle. To continue moving towards that first love. To find ways to die to the self. To live for him. To not end up lukewarm. To not end up in the doldrums. To not end up just floating or bobbing along. But to be moving deeper and fuller in love with him. And it takes some activity on our part. That's what the author of Hebrews says. We've got to fight for it. You've got to keep your eyes on him and fight the current that's pulling you in the opposite direction. But it's worth it. And you will never reach a point where you're done because he'll always be calling you further. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for the opportunity to be used by you. Father, remind us in this room, Lord, that as great as it is to be used by you, you would rather us know what it's like to be loved by you. And that, Father, you want to be our first love. You've called us to selflessness. You've called us out of the current of me and into the current of you. And, Father, if there's anybody here who's realized this morning that they're in the current of me, Father, if there's anybody here who's realized they've been pulled back into the current of me, Maybe they're in the doldrums. They're just stuck. They're not moving anywhere. They're not finding ways to live for you. They're just settling. But the thought keeps them up at night that this is not the life that you called them to. Father, I pray for everybody here that there would be a reawakening, Father, of getting back into the current of you and getting on task with you. Father, we ask that that happen today. Recharge us, renew us. We love you. We want to love you first. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks so much for listening to today's podcast. If you would like more information about the ministries at Ocean View, or if you'd like to speak to someone directly, you can visit our website at www.ovbc.org. Thanks again for listening. Have a great day.